This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Heavenly Father, we love You tonight. Thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Lord, thank You for... uh, the privilege of studying Your Word. Thank You for the privilege of prayer. Lord, thank You for brothers and sisters in Christ who are concerned about one another and about um, people in the world who need to know You. Lord, we pray for Your wisdom in outreach, in service, Uh, to those who have physical needs, to those who have need of salvation. Lord, make us instant, in season and out of season. Lord, make us ever uh, ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Empower us, Lord, by Your Spirit to do all things for Your glory, to live in this world with uh, our eyes, with our hearts, with our minds set on eternity, our affections set on You. We pray, Lord, tonight as we uh, consider this passage before us that You grant understanding. Again, that our knowledge of You may increase that our desire to know more may increase, that our love for You may increase. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, turn uh, to 1 Timothy 3. And uh, I'm going to again be considering uh, verse 16. And then we're going to look at some other passages, a couple we started on last week. <clears throat> started to get into and didn't didn't uh, really have time to get very far. First Timothy three sixteen, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, as I mentioned last week, the structure of this, and um, you've probably got some clues to that in, in, your, in your Bible, the way the publishers lay it out. But the structure of this, uh, the, the parallelisms that are contained here, um, lead... Um, lead us to believe that it was uh, probably a, a, a hymn um, that uh, that was known, and Paul is using uh, a segment of it. Of course, we don't know that for sure. That's just again, that's just based on the structure of the language there. Um, just uh, a few examples here. Uh, some of the uh, ones that I look at pretty regularly um, in different things. John MacArthur uh, says this: the lines that follow. He's talking about verse 16 here. Uh, the lines are undoubtedly from an early church hymn. 
Uh, Greek scholar Marvin Vincent says, quote, The words which follow were probably taken from an ancient creedal hymn. And A.T. Robertson, another Greek scholar, uh, actually a professor at a Southern Seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, in the 20th century, says, um, Westcott and Hort print this relative clause, and then Westcott and Hort were translators, that's who he's referring to. Um, Westcott and Hort print this relative clause as a fragment of a Christian hymn. That is probably correct, says A.T. Robertson. Um, so it's just widely believed, again, because of the structure of, of, uh, of these sentences here, that it, that it was a hymn, and that Paul is using a hymn or a confession that his readers would have been familiar with, that, uh, that makes some strong statements about the nature and person of Jesus Christ, which Paul calls here, uh, refers to as the truth. And, uh, for example, in verse 15, uh, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth, and now he's getting into the description of that. And he also refers to it as the mystery of godliness. That is, it was a, uh, a mystery, a secret, you could say, uh, now made known, which, which is the case in the, uh, in the New Testament when you see that term mystery, uh, it's usually referring to uh, something that once was a mystery that God revealed over time and is now made known. And that is uh, certainly the case with, uh, um, with Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he, we have progressive revelation over the centuries. Uh, the Old Testament saints, for example, uh, did not know that ultimately salvation was going to come through Jesus. But that uh, truth was made known over time. And uh, that's the mystery of godliness Paul is referring to and then gives us a brief description of in the form of this hymn. All right, now I want to get back to the, to the lines here. We kind of started on this uh, the other night. Um, and as I, as I already mentioned, the, the parallelisms here uh, indicate that it's probably a, uh, a hymn, uh, the... Uh, the uh, matching of the verbs, they're all in the uh, same tense. You've got parallelisms between flesh and spirit, for example. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Um, then of angels and Gentiles, he was seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles. Uh, and then world and glory, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now I want to go back to the first line again and spend some time there. We're probably going to spend the most time on, on that first line. Uh, they're all important truths, but that one especially is, uh, is critical. God was manifested in the flesh. God was manifested in the flesh. Um, first of all, the word manifest, and I think I mentioned this last week, uh, just means to, to make known or to make visible to reveal, and that's why it's translated uh, revealed or manifested. Uh, God makes Himself known. And God must make Himself known. He must reveal Himself in order for us to know anything about Him. He must reveal Himself in one way. Now, uh, in some way, uh, usually 
Revelation is kind of broken down into two main categories. Um, general revelation and specific or special revelation. Let me give you a couple of examples of those. And uh, One general revelation, for example, would be Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's an example of general revelation. Um, so even somebody who had never seen a Bible before, never heard the gospel preached before, ought to be able to look at creation and see evidence that there is a God. Creation is evidence that there is a Creator. And that's what we refer to as general revelation. <clears throat> so you can look at a tree. You can look at grass. You can look at a blue sky. And it's all declaring the glory of God. It's all declaring that God is. You can look at the com- complexity of the human body, for example. It's a testimony of uh, of the uh, handiwork of God. All of God's creation declares His glory. Now, not in a saving way. We're not saying somebody can... And again, this is what we mean by general revelation. It doesn't mean that somebody can look at a tree or look at the ocean or look at the Grand Canyon and uh, and be saved as a result. You know, can, can look at the sky and understand that Jesus died and He's our Savior. No, but it, but it is evidence to them that God is, that He exists, that there is a God there. Um, let me give you another example. You may you may want to turn to Romans one. Romans one. Again, talking about general revelation, and this is the case Paul is making here. God's wrath is revealed against men or people who have rejected His revelation, His general revelation even, because uh, He is so obviously seen in it. And I know I've said this before, but this quote often comes to mind, that of uh, Bertrand Russell, a uh, famous uh, atheist, uh, and he was asked uh, one time, uh, what if there really is a God, and uh, you know, you stand before Him, uh, and he says, why? And God says to you, why did you not believe on me? What would you answer? And Bertrand Russell said, not enough evidence. Well, the evidence abounds. It's everywhere. <laughs> it's everywhere. But it's like we were talking about the other day in Habakkuk. The problem is sinful man is blinded to it uh, to a large degree. And then beyond that, they just, like we're fixing to read here in Romans, they suppress it. What they do see, they reject and suppress it. Um, verse 18, Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Notice, notice that little line there. Unrighteous men... Suppress the truth. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to him. Now, he's talking about the ungodly here. Specifically, verse 18, unrighteous men, the ungodly. They suppress the truth because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. How did He do that? Verse 20. 
For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen. What a statement that is. His invisible attributes, what would that be a reference to? Well, maybe His love, His mercy, um, His uh, omnipotence, um, or, as the, again, as the psalmist says, Psalm 19.1, His glory, His glory is revealed. His uh, multifaceted uh, glory, excellencies are revealed in creation, and it's obvious. It's clearly seen. So, you go, Paul goes on to say, verse 24, Since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, that is, His creation, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So, Paul's saying, Ungodly, unrighteous men have seen these things. The problem is they've rejected them. They, again, verse 18, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness because they don't want to know Him. They do that because what, because what may be known of God is manifest in these things. So they, 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 they refuse them, reject them. So God has given general revelation um, in creation to make Himself known. But the problem is, because of our sinfulness, we reject what He is showing us uh, in, in one form or another. Now, some people like Bertrand Russell just outright, blatantly reject it. You know, say, not the evidence isn't there. I don't see it. Um, but uh, then some people are just what we might call uh, practical atheists. That is, they may, they may profess that they believe in God. They may profess Christianity. They may go to church every time the doors are open. But they live as though God did not exist. Then that's a practical atheist. No, I mean, you know, regardless of what comes out of the mouth, if, if, if there's no loving obedience to Christ, then it's as though they don't believe on Him. All right, so that's, that's general revelation. Now, special revelation um, would be specific things revealed to specific persons. Um, now, this would be salvific, saving. For example, you think back on your own experience. How, how do you know that Jesus really is the one true, only Savior? How do you know there is a God at all? That's hard to, hard to describe, isn't it, really, when you get down to it, because it's somewhat subjective. And you can say, well, I know because the Bible tells me. I mean, that, that's a good answer. That better, that better be the answer we, we choose. But, but then you could also go there and say, well, yeah, but why do you believe the Bible? Why do you believe the Bible is God's Word? Well, bottom line is because God has made that known to you. Now, that's special revelation. That's saving knowledge. When God reveals to a person that Jesus Christ is the truth, that He is the only way of salvation, that's special revelation. And that does save. So there's general revelation and there's special revelation, but in either case, it's, it's, it's God doing it. It's God making Himself known. He must make Himself known. If He didn't, we'd never have any, any access to Him. We're never going to, uh, 
<clears throat> reach out to him. And, uh, uh, and he does, thank goodness. And one reason I, I want to point these things out, because he does make himself known. I was uh, you know, in, in a discussion with a relative uh, a year or so ago, and a relative that claims to be an agnostic, and he was saying that, uh, you know, there may be a God out there, but, but he's too big for us to know anything about. We cannot know him. That's a classic argument. And, uh, you know, there's a simple answer to that. I mean, because there's some truth to that saying. Uh, we, we couldn't get to God on our own, by our own intelligence, our own abilities. But he makes himself known. Therefore, he can be known. He has spoken. Um, one verse on the, I want to point out on the special revelation, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I think we looked at this recently as well, but uh, great passage, um, giving a little insight to how God works in the human heart. Verse 5 says, For we do not, Second uh, Corinthians 4, 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your slaves for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's special revelation. First of all, God in Christ, in the person of Christ, makes Himself known in a, uh, not in a general way, but in a very specific way. So, so you can look at the sky or the Grand Canyon or a tree and, and come to the conclusion, hmm, there must be a creator. Or watch a hummingbird fly backwards or hover and, and, and uh, uh, common sense, you know, should tell us there's a creator. But again, there's no saving knowledge there. There's no information. About, you, you can't look at a hummingbird and... and, and uh, Learn how to be saved. But you look at Jesus Christ and there are specifics about God and God's ways. He made Himself known ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. And then uh, individually to us, He reveals Jesus to us as Paul, uh, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Like He turns the light on in our heart. So that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. All right, John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And what a rich uh, passage this is, text this, this is, in regard to Revelation, in regard to the person of Christ. <clears throat> Talking about the incarnation. So first of all, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh. Again, the word manifested means revealed or to make visible, to make known. God makes Himself known. And and specifically in 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, God made Himself known in flesh. In flesh. That is... He became a human being. That's what the word incarnation means. And incidentally, that's 
really what we celebrate at Christmas, not not the birth of Christ per se. It's not a birthday party. But what we're celebrating is the incarnation of Christ. That is God Himself becoming a man. Look at John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word. That's a reference to, as, as we'll see, he's talking about Jesus. He, he calls Him the, the Word, the Lagos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, John tells us right at the beginning of his prologue here, in the beginning was the Word, the Lagos, like we talked about last week, and the Lagos was with God, that's interesting that he would say that. <laughs> and then, even more so, that he would finish it out this way. He was with God, and the Word was God. Not a God, but God. New World Translation, which is a translation produced and used by Jehovah's Witnesses. They, they put a A. I mean, the word God there, they, they make it a small g. Put a word, put the uh, indefinite article A in front of it. And the word was a God. If you ever have Jehovah's Witnesses come knocking on your door, and you start telling them about your belief in Christ, this is one of the, probably one of the first places they're going to want to take you. And they're going to say, your Bible is translated wrong. Um, the Greek has no definite article in front of the word God, Theos, and therefore it should have been translated, not God, capital G, the word was God, but it should have been translated, the word was a God. And that's the way their translation reads. Well, um, they they take a, uh, a truth and just really... Twist it, distort it. It is true that there's no definite article there in the Greek in front of the word God. It does not say the word was the God. And you might think, well, you know, why is that? It would be easier, wouldn't it? If, if John had said, if the Holy Spirit had moved John to say the word was with God and the word was the God, then there would be no dispute. We would know that the Lagos, the word is the God. And therefore, we would know that Jesus, verse, verse 14 makes it clear that the Lagos is Jesus, and the Word, again, the Greek word there is Lagos, and the Lagos became flesh and dwelt among us, obviously talking about Jesus. So if verse 1 said, the Lagos was the God, And that would settle things concerning the deity of Christ. Well, no, because if it said that, what it would do is, is make them one and the same, so that you could say the Word was the God, or the God was the Word. And what you wind up with there is one person. It would make, in other words, you could say it this way, it would make the Father and Jesus 
one and the same person. So what you have here, the way that it reads, you have a distinction. In the beginning was the Word, the Lagos, and the Lagos was with God. So you've got a distinction. There's the Lagos and there's God, a reference to the Father. The Lagos was with God and, John says, the Lagos was God. And that's a reference to His nature. You could paraphrase it this way. And the Word was divine. What, what John is saying is, is that uh, he's of the same nature as God. He was with God, and he himself was God. Not one and the same person. Two persons, yet one in essence, fully divine. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So he was both with God and he was God. fits uh, very well with the Trinitarian view, <laughs> the classic uh, the view of Christianity. It doesn't fit so well with uh, the view of the Jehovah's Witnesses or the United Pentecostals, but uh, fits, fits very well with the classic Christian teaching concerning the Holy Spirit. Two persons, one essence. Jesus was God. This is the point that John is making here. And... <clears throat> Of course, where he's going with that is that God became flesh. That when Jesus came, what was happening was God Himself was becoming a man. Verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word. That Word was. Um, is, is, there's, uh, there's a contrast here uh, again. In the beginning was the Word, and you go down to verse 14, and the Word became. So in verse 1, you've got a to-be verb. In, in the beginning was the Word. And the idea there, the, the tense of it, the idea is that He, he already was. So if you, if you go back to what we consider to be the start, go back to Genesis 1.1, God, God created the heavens and the earth. You go back to the beginning, John is saying, and incidentally, it's not coincidental that he uses that phrase, in the beginning. Same phrase from Genesis 1.1. And John is saying, if you go back there, the word, Lagos, Jesus, already was. In the beginning, He already existed. He was. Then you get down to verse 14, and when it talks about his manhood, his, or I should say his, his humanity, he uses a different verb. It's the verb genomize. It means, just as it's translated here, he became. As the Lagos in verse 1, he always was. But as man, as human uh, being, he became. In the beginning was the Word. He already was. He always was. He was with God and He was God. As God, He never had a beginning. He just always was. But as man, He became. 
He became. Verse 14, the Word became flesh. God, the same God in verse 1, the Lagos became flesh. Why? Well, again, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. John John, the Apostle John here, he, he saw the glory in the face of Jesus Christ. I mean, some of the Pharisees and others looked at Christ and, and uh, you know, they hated Him. They were just filled with rage and envy, jealousy. But John got it, just like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. The God who commanded the, shine, the light to shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts so that we may see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is why He came, or became, flesh. To dwell among us, and that we might behold His glory. So John goes on, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, jump down to verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, and that's again a reference to Jesus, that's the Logos who became flesh. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Explained Him. In other words, he's, it's, it, it's a different verb than the one used in, in 1 Timothy uh, 3.16. But it's similar. In other words, he's saying he's made him known. No one has seen God, but the only begotten has explained him. He became flesh. He, he was in the beginning, and he was with God, and he was God, and he became flesh, and we beheld his glory And all of this so that He might declare God to us. He was manifested or made known in the flesh. Specifically, in Jesus Christ. Not, not when, he said, when He says in 1 Timothy 3.16, God's made known in the flesh. He doesn't, just, he doesn't mean that you can look at any man or woman and see God. It's a reference to... Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. That, that's an awesome thing. God, in, in uh, you know, I'll, I always have trouble with this phrase. We, we say a lot of times, we, God in eternity past did this or that. <laughs> but, but, that's, that's us speaking from, uh, you know, we're locked into to thinking about things in terms of time, and we don't really know what it's like in eternity before God created time as we know it. But at any rate, somewhere before God created all things, He decided to make Himself known to human beings. And He decided to make Himself known by becoming 
a human being. God Himself. And He did that in the person of Jesus Christ. So that now you can look at, even physically, if, if you had been there, like uh, uh, John and the other apostles were, you could look at Jesus Christ and see the glory of God. And in a spiritual sense, we can still do that now. We, we can... What we know about Jesus Christ revealed to us through His Word, we can, we can look upon Him and see the glory of God in His face. He, he makes God known to us. So we look at Jesus, and the more we look at Him, and the more we look at Him, and the more we look at Him, the more we know about God. God was made known in the flesh. His glory is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we thank You, Lord, for uh, these awesome truths out of love, out of uh, mercy. You decided to make Yourself known. You decided to save sinners. All who will believe on Jesus Christ. And Lord, we are thankful for uh, Your opening our eyes to the truth. But pray, Lord, uh, especially as uh, we still on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute minute basis, deal with sin in our own life and the darkness of this world, we pray uh, that You continue to uh, enable us to continue to focus on You. Enable us to learn. Enable us to grow. Get a clearer vision of You, who You are, as we read and study Your Word and as we fellowship with You in prayer and as we fellowship with one another. May it all be so, so that we can faithfully hold forth the truth in this world, just like we've been reading about here in First Timothy. Declaring Jesus to the world for Your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.